If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. As we're turning there, this is the account that uh, is really the only account in the Gospels of Jesus at age 12. We have the accounts, of course, of the birth of Christ in Matthew and Luke, but this is the only account in the four Gospels relating to the 12-year-old Jesus who was at the temple. Hear the word of God, please. Luke chapter 2, verse 39, 52. I'll be using the New International Version. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the land, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to their custom or to the custom. And after the feast was over, while the parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking their questions or asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then this statement in question by Jesus why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he meant. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Familiar words, but words that we need to be reminded of in our daily walk with God. Because you see, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of our God is eternal. Let us unite our hearts in prayer, please. Father, again, I pray that you would take these few moments and I pray that they would be a spiritual nourishment for us in our daily lives. 
And I pray and ask that we would be encouraged, challenged, stretched perhaps, but may this be an opportunity for us to put into practice those things that we say we believe. Things just not only that we believe, but that we practice as well. In your name I pray. Amen. I thank you and the officers for the opportunity to open the word of God uh, this evening. And basically, I want to start, uh, Ted did an excellent job this morning in his excitement with the first part of Hebrews, but I want to turn our attention and remind us the latter part of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1, 2, and 3. Sort of at the conclusion of this uh, book of Hebrews, we have that significant word, therefore. What is the word therefore? We need to recognize that it, in basis of those words that have gone on before, the author of Hebrews, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, put it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with patience or perseverance the race marked out for us. What do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you may not or you will not grow weary and lose heart. The Bible reminds us, and it's not like Ted and I talked about what he was going to say this morning. He didn't know what I was going to say tonight. But it is related to the focus of what I'm going to say tonight. And that is we are to fix our eyes in this world of change and culture and all the things that taking, are taking place. We need to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ. Chapter 11 of Hebrews says we have this account of many people who were persecuted and who experienced difficulties in their life. And in view of that which is recorded in the previous chapter 11, we are to deal with sin that entangles us. And we are to run with perseverance and patience the race that is marked out for us. And in this process, we keep our eyes our lives focused upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. With all of that as a preface, I want us to turn our attention now to what does that mean for our lives today in the midst of the hustle and the bustle and the, you know, the tyranny of the urgent 
that we are experiencing in our lives 24-7. The question that sometimes is asked of me and perhaps of you as well, and that is, how are you doing? How are you doing? But as indicated in the sermon tonight, I want to add a, a word to that question. How are you really doing? How are you really doing in your walk with God? The Bible has been given to us under the inspiration of the Spirit of God as a mirror. It is to reflect our walk with God. And as we look into the mirror of the Word of God, not the circumstances, we tend to look at this circumstance or this issue or this difficulty that we're experiencing, whether it's physical or emotional or financial or whatever the issue is, we need to reflect upon the mirror of the Word of God. And the question then is, how are we, how are you really doing? We have, an, I think, an excellent answer to that question. As recorded in what I read just a moment ago from Luke chapter 2. And here we have an answer, perhaps a help in the answer about how we are really, really doing. As I said a moment ago, this is the only account in the scripture of Jesus' birth at age from birth to age 12. We have a period of time from the birth of Christ, and now we are considering this event, age 12, and then there's another gap between age 12 to the beginning of his public ministry at age 30. But we have these words in Luke chapter 2, verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And then this significant verse, 40. And the child, we're talking about the birth of Christ, after the procedures in terms of the circumcision and the birth and, and all the rest, we have this statement, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Then a gap between verse 40 and 41. We have this account of the boy Jesus or the child who grew, but we had this period of time between verse 40 and 41 that the custom was that you came to the temple. And Jesus, at this point, was age 12. And then you go down to verse 52, the end of this chapter, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Here we have the account of Jesus Christ who came in love to redeem his people from their sin. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. This one, 
the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came in love. And why did he come? He came to die. He was born to die. He did not need to die for himself, for what he did or did not do, but he died for the needs that we have. All of us are sinners conceived in iniquity, and we are sinners. None of us is righteous, not even one. But this Son of God came so that by the grace of God, we who are born and conceived in iniquity can be made alive in Christ. Jesus Christ came so that we might have life eternal. And what is life? That we might, this eternal life, that we might be like Christ. We might know the one that he sent, our Heavenly Father, and become more like the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We are conceived in iniquity, but by the grace of God, we have been made alive. And therefore, we are to live, not entangled by sin, but we are to be continuing to work out our salvation. Not work for our salvation, but work out our salvation. How? With fear and trembling. We need prayer in our time of need. So basically what we have here is the birth of Christ, the eighth day circumcision, we come to verse 40, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Age 12, verse 41, the end of that chapter, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. But then, another period of time, 18 years perhaps, we find the account of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and through 23, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years, and when he began his ministry, he was a son, so it was thought of Joseph and the account that follows. So basically, we have these, this period of the birth of Christ, age 12, the public ministry, age 30. What happened in that period of time? I submit to you, that it is a statement to us that God, through the ministry of his parents, Mary, earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, there was some training, there was some growing, there was some development in this child of God. In other words, we are the temple of God today. God does not dwell in this building, in these 
building made by hands, a building that will be, you know, some reconstruction and work going on down the hallway. This is not the temple. You and I are the temple of God. And so whether we are eating or drinking or whatever it is, we are to do it all for the glory of God. Allow me to just consider two aspects, two principles that I think might be helpful for us in terms of our understanding. First of all, the first aspect involves the two questions. The two questions by Mary. Mary said, his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And in response to this question, Jesus gave these words that are the first words recorded by Jesus in the New Testament. Why are you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But, there's that little word again, but they did not understand what he meant. In essence, what we're seeing here is in response to his mother, he asks these questions. And it implies some training for these 12-year period of time. And in other words, the centrality of the worship of God was in Christ's heart and mind. In John chapter 4, and verse 21 through 24, we have these words. Jesus declared, the Samaritan woman, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is come, coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What I am seeking to say is that the worship of God should be central in our walk with God. As I said a moment ago, this place someday is going to be burned up. And God does not dwell in this building that has been made by men and women. But God dwells in the hearts and lives. And we are the temple of the living God. This is simply a place that God has provided for us to worship in spirit and in truth. 
And may it be a place where we come to encourage one another. May it be a place in which we come to worship and grow. Our priority should be the worship of God. Familiar words given to us in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And in particular, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up our habit together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and do it more so as we see the day approaching. Do we realize that yes, this is a day that the Lord has made? May it be a day in which we are rejoicing as we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The second aspect or principle involves what is found is a root word in verses 40 and 52. The Greek word is charis, K-A-R-I-S in the English uh, expression. It's the word that we use for grace. It can also be different terminology or word that's used perhaps in some of our translations, favor. And in essence, what the author of Luke here is telling us and reminding us is because of the grace of God, there is this vertical relationship with God. There is this vertical relationship with God. The grace of God was upon him. And then later on in verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor, derivation of the word grace, with God and men. In other words, because of the vertical relationship with God, there should be the horizontal expression of that grace of God as it is manifested in our concern and encouragement for one another. There is the vertical. It is by the grace of God that we can be saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But there is also a favorable relationship, or there should be a growing relationship. We cannot earn the grace of God. It is a gift. It's not a works, lest any of us uh, boast. But we are recipients of that grace, and the word of God is to be expressed in thanksgiving to Almighty God as we pray, as we encourage one another. May it be something that is vigorous in our growth. What we're seeing here, I hope, is that there's an advanced progress in the life of Christ from birth to age 12, age 12 to public ministry, age 30 and following. And in essence, we see a progression. Jesus, I'm not making a big deal of it, but I think it's, it's significant. We have 
the word child in verse 40. And the child grew. And the mother asked the question in the middle of the second chapter. Son, why have you treated us like this? And then verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. A progression. A perfect son of God. But the Bible reminds us that he was willing to be obedient even to the point of death. There is that kind of a growth in our Son, in our Savior, Christ Jesus. Let me just simply conclude by asking a question. How are you really doing? How has God blessed you? Are you really growing? Well, yeah, we're all growing. We all talk about different uh, surgeries or difficulties that we've had in our lives. But as we are growing in age, may we be a people that are growing in our prayer, our walk with God. Do we, and I'm, you know, I'm not pointing the finger at you, as I so often say, I need to be reminded that as I point, there are three fingers coming back toward me. But how much time do we spend in terms of things that we do, that we enjoy? Do we spend more time in TV? Thank you for coming here tonight rather than you know, the Super Bowl that's going on. You know, I'm preaching to a choir. But again, it's a, it's a question, I think, that we need to ask. Do we really believe that the Bible is the final authority and it is practice in our living? We say those words. We really understand supposedly those words but are we practicing are we putting them in our lives I really appreciate a verse in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 the statement is that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians were they received the message with great eagerness, great eagerness, and examined the scriptures every day. Do you hear that? Every day. Why did they do that? It goes on and it says, to see if what Paul said was true. As John, Pastor John says from time to time, and others as well. Check me out. Check Pastor John out. Check what I say. It is not the gospel according to Arthur Scott. 
the good news is that God chooses me to hopefully encourage so that you and I may be more like Jesus Christ. And as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ according to the word of God, especially the Apostle Peter, may it be said when someone asks us, how are you doing? How are you doing? Rather, how are you really doing in your walk with God? Are we willing to say, God has shown me various things that I need to do and the way that I am to live and in order to be more like Jesus Christ today than I was yesterday? Let us pray. Lord God, I pray that you would truly challenge us and may we more and more be like Jesus Christ. I pray and ask that you would encourage us, challenge us, and that we would be a people that truly are peculiar that are willing to not be afraid to take a stand for Christ. And as the Bible reminds us that we would be not conformed to the pattern and the lifestyle of this world, but that we would be transformed, transformed by the renewing of our minds then we will be able to test and approve what your goodwill is for us. May we truly, as we heard earlier, keep our eyes on Jesus. In his name we pray.